Good morning and welcome to each one of you. Just a gentle reminder that we have switched to caution orange in this province. So unfortunately, that means that we need to keep our masks on throughout the whole entire service. Let's pray. Almighty God, we long to rest in your gentle arms. We need your compassion as we face the challenges and disappointments of life. And when our hearts are hard and our concern is only for ourselves, God, turn us back to you. Remind us of your saving love and keep us close to you, Lord. Please give us hearts and voices of gratitude. Love us as only you can love. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be reading Genesis 12, 1-3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go to your country, your people, and your father's family. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will put a curse on anyone who puts a curse on you. All nations on earth will be blessed because of you. The first song we'll be singing is a new one from last time, so we will ask you to just join us in the chorus.
Our second scripture we'll be reading from Genesis 32, 22 to 32, and I'll be reading from the New International Reader's Version. Jacob wrestles with God. That night, Jacob got up. He took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and sent them across the Jabbok River. After they had crossed the stream, he sent over everything he owned, and so Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until morning. The man saw that he could not win, and so he touched the inside of Jacob's hip. As Jacob wrestled with the man, Jacob's hip was twisted. And then the man said, let me go, it is morning. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will not be Jacob anymore. Instead, it will be Israel. You have wrestled with God and with people, and you have won. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you want to know my name? And then he blessed Jacob there. 
So Jacob named the name place Peniel. He said, I saw God face to face, but I'm still alive. The sun rose above Jacob as he passed by Peniel. He was limping because of his hip, and that is why the Israelites do not eat the meat attached to the inside of the animal's hip. They don't eat it to this day. It is because the inside of Jacob's hip was touched. We're going to sing a song that on one hand seems in contrast with the scripture reading. Um, the only, it's from Psalm 116. Um, the only text is, Be at rest once more, O my soul. Um, but I, I think it's not in contrast with the, with the scripture reading. Um, we are invited to action and sometimes even to, to wrestling with God um, out, of a, out of a place of, of kind of restful awareness of, of God's presence. And those, those two poles that in some ways pull against each other um, are, what, are what makes our experience. morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, you're never quite sure how to answer that one. It's not like a Merry Christmas or a Happy Easter, but at the same time, it's an important day as well. It's not a religious holiday, but 
There's something about forgetting to give thanks that tends to make us focus on the things that get us down, that tend to make us focus on the things that overwhelm us and tend to make us focus on the things that make everything seem without hope. So Thanksgiving might not be a religious holiday, but to have that reminder that there are things to be thankful for, that's no small thing. If you have your bulletins on you, and also, if you haven't picked up a, uh, a communion cup, we're going to be doing that later. They're on the back table. But if you have your bulletins on you, you'll notice that there are a couple things here, both to pray for as well as for announcements. Before I go any farther, I know that Dawson has an announcement as far as the YFC banquet. I, yeah, I'm pleased to say that there is going to be a YFC banquet this year. Um, November 12th is going to be the date. It's going to be a pick-up meal. And so uh, we'd like to know numbers by November 1st. So if you'd like to participate in that, uh, just let me know, and I can put you on the list. And, yeah, it'll be at the Austin Hall is where you can pick up your meal. And it's no cost to you, but we do encourage you to donate and support YFC because it is a fundraising banquet. So yeah, um, looking forward to that. We'll come out with some more details as soon as we figure them out, trying to make the best of what we can do here with the current restrictions and stuff. So um, yeah, just let me know if you're interested. Thanks. Next on our list of announcements, next Sunday, uh, that is uh, October 17th, uh, Cesar Garcia, uh, who is the General Secretary of Mennonite World Conference. He will be here speaking, so that will be a very interesting uh, time to be certain. So make sure to put that on your calendars. Make sure to come on out. If you know anybody else that would be interested, feel free to invite them out as well. Uh, next, October 18th at 1.20, Ladies Bible Study. Contact Lois or Charlene for more information on that. Uh, next, October 23rd, we're going to be having a work day at the church. I expect that I'll have a time for you this week, uh, and so keep an eye on the midweek email, but block off particularly the morning on October 23rd all the same. We're hoping to take down the poplar trees uh, that are not doing too terribly well along the perimeter. Next, October 30th, uh, we are going to be playing host to community development workshops together with the McGregor Chamber of Commerce here at the church. In the blog post this past week, I spent a little bit time talking about that. You can also find out more on the McGregor Chamber of Commerce website. Uh, I'd encourage you to check it out. I am looking forward to it myself. Also, come talk to me if you want to know more as well. And beyond that, Youth will be this Wednesday at 8 o'clock at Dawson and Bethany's house. Uh, so make sure to put that down. It won't be at the church. Uh, next, prayer meeting at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. Make sure to come on out for that if you can. It is always an edifying time. Also this week is ministerial meeting. And so please keep us in your prayers as well. All right. So moving on to the things that are to be prayed for. Uh, first, while it says here to pray for the area churches, uh, as far as the new restrictions, I know that there's a certain amount of tension that is brewing on that topic. I would also ask, 
as it is Thanksgiving, to pray a word of Thanksgiving for the area churches as well and the work that they do in the community. I think all too often these days we focus on the negative things, but there is a lot of ways that God is working through the churches, through us believers in North Norfolk and McGregor and Austin and across our province as well. So Thanksgiving for that. Next, when it comes to me talking about Thanksgiving, most certainly uh, is the fact that I think everybody knows at this point, Shannon is pregnant, which I am very excited about. Uh, so uh, I'd ask prayer for us as we go through this time as, again as well. And so with those things said, let's go into a time of prayer for thanksgiving. Our God, we come before you today thankful for all of the things that you do. Thankful for all of the things that we see you do and thankful for all of the things that we don't see as well. And we know that there are many of them. God, as we look outside to the rains, first off, we thank you for that. It has been such a terribly dry five years and so we pray, God, that this rain continues to come. We pray that the reservoirs continue to fill and we pray, God, we pray that you continue to send these rains. But we thank you so very much for what we are seeing outside today all the same. And God, we also want to give you a big thanks for the churches of this area. God, over my time here, I've gotten to know the other pastors a little bit and I am so thankful to you that I can call them friends. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing on each of their services this morning. God, I pray a blessing on each of their churches as they navigate the tensions that are all around us. And God, I pray a blessing on all of our churches as we look to build your kingdom here in North Norfolk. And we thank you so very much for how you have been with us through the pandemic and how you have been with us trying to build your kingdom that we can see and also that we know we will see in the future as well. And God, I want to thank you also so very much for our church in particular. Lord, I want to thank you so very much for all of the people that are here this morning all of the people that are here and also that couldn't make it out for whatever reason that have impacted me, that have made me learn new things, have caused me to become not only a better pastor, but also a better man as well. Lord, it means more to me than I can probably ever put into words, and so I thank you for that, just as I thank each and every one of the people here before me as well. And Lord, I also want to pray a thank you for this little one that is on the way. God, I want to pray for a safe pregnancy, a healthy little child at the end. God, I pray that the a million things that need to fall into place before that time comes fall into place. God, thank you. And Lord, this morning I also want to pray for the Rhineland Church. It is so very hard to lose a minister. And so, God, I pray, be their rock, be their guide, 
make yourself known. Lord, all of these things we bring before you this morning, and again, for the lives that we live, we say thanks. Amen. A month or two back, when I was beginning to look to what I would be preaching on after we were done our time with Christian ethics, uh, I was talking to somebody who was reading through her Bible, and her ask was, could you talk about how to read the Old Testament? And as I thought about that suggestion and read some more things on it, as well as prepared for what would become the series that we're going to go into now, I came to a bit of a realization, um, and that is that this topic of how to read the Old Testament, I think is a pretty important one for us to hit on, even though we might not necessarily think of it as important right off the bat. And the reason that I say that I think it's a pretty important one for us to hit on is because the more I read, the more I came to the conclusion that I don't know how good we Christians are at actually reading the Old Testament, particularly in our circles, in evangelical and Mennonite circles. We don't really understand the point of it. And I say that because I think when we read the Old Testament, often it seems that we come at it like it's ultimately unimportant. We come at it maybe thinking of what we read in Matthew 5, that Jesus has fulfilled the scriptures, and as such, we don't really need the Old Testament anymore. It's there. You can spend time in there. It's a good thing to do. And, but ultimately, that's not what's important in your Bibles. But there is a problem with that way of approaching the Old Testament. And that is that you don't need to read too terribly much into the Gospels before you realize that that most certainly isn't how the New Testament writers or the people in the New Testament think of the Old Testament. Jesus certainly thinks that the Old Testament is important. Jesus cares profoundly about what is in the Old Testament. You don't need to get past the first chapter of Matthew to figure that. All of the New Testament writers do. They quote it hundreds of times. And that should stop, make us stop, and that should make us wonder why. Why is it that we think that this isn't terribly important, and yet the people that we say are what is terribly important themselves think that it is terribly important? As we're going to see over the next five weeks, we're going to take a break next week for Cesar Garcia, but then after that, continue on till Advent. But as we're going to see over the next five weeks, far from being a part of your Bible that is unimportant, it is actually the basis that the New Testament is built on. Without it, your understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done will be less than what it should be. Without it, the gospel message is a shell of what it should be to the point that it isn't really even good news if you don't know what is going on in the Old Testament first. And without it, who we are as both believers as well as the church is less than what it should be. And so between now and the beginning of Advent, we are going to be looking at how to read the Old Testament 
And as we come to Jesus' birth this December, I think that we will be happy that we did. And to do this, and this is going to be a bit of a Herculean task, we're going to need a guiding question. One that will keep us from getting lost in the sheer depth of what this topic has to offer, because there is an awful lot that the topic of how to read the Old Testament has to offer. And what that question is going to be is simply this. Who is Israel? This is a good question to ask if you're going to understand the Old Testament because it is largely this question and all those questions that stem off from it that the Old Testament is trying to answer in the first place. Who is Israel? What is Israel? What is Israel's relationship to God? How should Israel relate to those around them and the rest of creation? How should Israel understand her place in the world and her history? These are the questions that the Old Testament grapples with, and they are also the questions that the New Testament builds upon as well. To answer them, that will find us the entire way through the Old Testament. And so to begin our quest to answer that question, who is Israel? Unsurprisingly, we're going to start at the beginning of Genesis. But not the Genesis that we know. Instead, the one that is roughly 2,700 to 3,500 years old, something like that. For you see, in those days, literacy was not really something that you could take for granted like you can today. Food was harder to come by, so procuring it took an awful lot of everybody's daylight hours. And so to do something like to learn to read and to write, that was a highly specialized thing to do back then. And as such, it was reserved for people that, and I apologize for saying this, but sadly it's true, for people that were much higher up the social ladder than any of us would have been. But what all people back then could do even if they couldn't read, even if they couldn't write, what they could do, and what's more, they had plenty of time to do, is they could tell stories. And when I say stories, I'm not saying tall tales or things they make up on the spot when it comes to how we're going to understand this. No, stories can tell great truths like nothing else can, which is why they have always been used to teach the things that really matter. For stories have a way of sticking in our minds. They have a way of causing us to ruminate on the things that are said. They have a way of causing us to empathize with the people we are hearing about. They have a way of causing us to be drawn into the story and then also to be drawn together with the other people that are also told our stories. Not all the books of the Old Testament came into being in this way, as stories first and foremost, but many of them did. And Genesis certainly began in this way. Spoken stories from parent to child, father to son, mother to daughter, night in and night out. And its contents would have been favorites to have shared around the campfire as well because of what its contents are. They are origin stories. Stories about how the world was made. 
stories about our place in that world and stories about our ancestors and the adventures they found themselves on while becoming who they are. As Christians, we know that all scripture is God-breathed. Human beings may be the ones keeping track of it, some better than others, but that it is from God we know to be the case. That God is involved in the process of relaying scripture from one generation to the next, we understand to be one of the most amazing ways that he works among his people even up to this very day. And that God was at work in the process of relaying holy scripture from one generation to the other before a single word of it was even written down. If we were counting things to be thankful for today, I would say add that miracle to your list. And as to why knowing that this, as to why knowing this is even important, it's because this is where the story of the Old Testament begins. It doesn't begin with kings and queens. It doesn't begin with nobles, highborns, the rich, prophets and their scribes. Instead, it begins with God among everyday people, like you and me, huddled around a campfire at the end of a long day, bonding as a family and teaching by telling stories of those who came before us. And this goes for most of the Bible as well. It wouldn't be until the modern era when literacy rates really take off. So for most of history, scripture and what it is trying to teach us and the stories it contains and the wonderful truths that shape us to this day for most of history, this is how it was told. In the beginning, you can imagine a father one night with his wife by his side and his children gathering around a circle. In the beginning, things were formless and they were void. And then the God of our ancestors called out, let there be light. You can imagine that just then, the spark that the father was trying to make took hold and a little flame licked up from the fire. And then maybe the father motioned to a nearby half-empty cup as he settled to his seat. And the waters covered everything, but then our God separated them from the earth, and just like that, there was land. And at that fact, the children gathered there, they would have opened their mouths just amazed. Because no matter where you lived in the area of the Levant, Water was both a friend and it was also a terrible enemy because storms and flash floods were the deaths of many. So for a God to be able to control water like that, that was something special. And as the young one's eyes continued to grow on and on, their father would go with his telling. The moon, the stars, the plants, the animals, and just as he was really building up, human beings are made together, women and men in the image of God to shepherd over all creation, to which God says that all of this that he made was good. And after God said that human beings were good and the rest of creation was good as well, you can imagine the father was hamming it up a little bit 
when he said, and after all that, God rested. And so you should too, as he sent his kids to bed. And the story for the night would come to an end, and the kids are sent off to bed to rest like God did, which is an important thing to do as earlier than later. You don't really have light bulbs like we do in campfires. You can only do so much with. But you want to have a full night's rest because it was a brutal time that these children lived in. Work was hard. Work was long. And the fact that their children didn't mean that they didn't need to work. The idea of children not working, having a carefree life, that's only from the last 200 years or so. For almost all of history, they got some of the hardest jobs that there were. Which is probably why, at that point in time, death was rampant. Child, infant, and maternal mortality rates are in the double digits, and that most certainly changes how you think of things. And one had made... That one God had made everything, and that God said that everything that he made was good, and that human beings were made in his image to take care of all things. Imagine if you lived in that brutal world and yet you were told that. That is the type of thing that is a revelation that changes the outlook that those kids would have compared to everyone around them. So then after another long day, the family once again would gather around the fire and the father would go on with his stories of Genesis. This time, the story begins in a garden too impossibly lush to even imagine. For it is hilly, rocky, and often it is harsh throughout most of the Levant. But God, they are told, the same God from the night before was in this garden. And so the children's ears, they would have perked up. And the story goes on. A man was made from the earth itself, life breathed into by God. And then God named the man that he had made Adam, to which the kids would have probably giggled because... That's a pretty punny joke right there. Adam is the Hebrew word for earth. So it seems that fathers, even heavenly fathers, they like to tell knee slappers. But Adam, the father, continues, works alongside God, another revelation, because in the gods of the other nations, in their stories, the gods are doing their things, and the humans, they pretty much just have to suck up and have no point in anything else. So that in this telling humans are working alongside God. That is something absolutely amazing. And then God creates his final masterpiece at the pinnacle of creation, and it is woman, to which maybe the father takes the hand of his wife and gives it a gentle squeeze. This, this was not a time when women were valued in society. Their lives were at the whims of their husbands, largely thought of as disposable. So imagine all the daughters and the future wives that this detail would have impacted their lives, if only just so slightly, as compared to those around them. And together, God and the two human beings, they walked in paradise. Then, as the night grew darker and the cold came into the air, the story turns. And an evil snake enters, because, of course, an evil snake enters. There are a lot of venomous snakes in that area. And the father tells of how this snake tempted the woman and tempted the man to do something God told them not to, just so they could be like God, to eat of the fruit. 
to which to the horror of the children they learn of the fall. And as a result, all the hard and terrible things that made their little lives so difficult and sore came into the world, sin brought on by human choice. And as the kids went off to bed that night, they drift to sleep, not only remembering to be wary of snakes, which is a very valuable lesson, but also understanding why things are the way they are, even though God said they were good. Also, that the things they choose to do actually seem to have some form of an impact on the world around them. Another thing that is not particularly common in how people thought back then. The life of the kings and queens and all of the highborns, that was understood to have an impact, but everybody, not so much. The next night, the story continues on. At first, sadly, as they learn about Cain and Abel and the origin of sacrifices and very important thing, and also cities, less important, but also good to know where they come from. And then especially as they come to the flood, they widen their eyes as things become absolutely epic. Many cultures have stories of floods, including the Mesopotamians off to the east, as well as the Egyptians down to the southwest. Groups of people that this family would have a lot of firsthand experience with, and over the years to come would have a lot more firsthand experience with as well. These two peoples were mighty powers, while this family around the campfire were not. And so the relationship there is guarded, to say the least, and will get a lot worse from these days on. But then the children remember an odd thing in those people's stories of the flood. And that is that in those stories, the waters killed gods and mortals alike. But in the story your father is telling you now, all along, God is in control, more powerful than the waters. And instead of destroying everything in the end of that story, he actually saves his creation. To you, a child who knows these other people's stories, having heard them from the strangers that somewhat frightened you, as you went to bed at night, you would do so almost puzzled. At that time, you would have believed unquestioningly that gods of these other people existed. That wasn't really something that people at this time questioned. The thought that gods existed all around, that was just taken for granted. But that your god, the god of your family, was the strongest of all, so strong that they could destroy everything and control the waters themselves, and yet didn't choose to kill everything, wipe them all out like the other gods in the other stories did, those gods that were brutal and wanted child and human sacrifices, that your god saved people in the end. That would have caused you to ask, what does that mean? And then one night, not long after, you hear the story of Abraham. And for the first time around the campfire, you are told a story of someone who sounds an awful lot like you. So as your father goes on, you begin to pay especially close attention. For at that time, in a real way, it was understood that what your ancestors were, you in some way were as well. 
that this man was family meant that his glory in some way was also your glory. You shared in that. His blessings were in some way your blessings. You shared in that. And that what happened to him mattered directly to you. Abram, as we hear, is also Mesopotamian originally. And hearing that, maybe your opinion of those scary strangers softens slightly. It seems like all people are in some way distant kin. Go to Palestine, God told Abram. And so Abram went without question, his beloved wife Sarah by his side. And then you hear of how God came to Abraham and made a covenant with him. And that, that leaves you dumbstruck because covenants in that time were something that you took very seriously. They were agreements made that you did not break on pain of death. I will be your descendants. I will be with your descendants for all time. Your descendants will be kings and rulers as numerous as the stars, and I will be their God. That is, that is the covenant that our God makes with Abraham. And as your father finishes these words, you shiver at the weight of them. And the stories go on. After Abraham comes the much shorter story of Isaac, and then Jacob. And Jacob, as a child, you find his story just delightful because Jacob is an unwieldy man. He is a trickster. And as a child, you squeal with delight every time your father regales you of some of the shenanigans that he gets up into. All the while, your mother is glancing at him a little apprehensive as to whether or not those stories should be told to children because she knows that she'll have future work made out for him if you start to emulate him. And the younger children around the fire, they smile as they hear of how Jacob earned his older brother's birthright through deceit, while the older siblings do what older siblings do and punch the younger children as they see them smile harder than they thought they did, as older siblings have done since the dawn of time. In those days, pretty much everything of value went to the eldest son with the younger ones often staying around to help take care of the family wealth while daughters were left to marry outside the group. The sons would then turn when they got older and also marry typically younger women and bring them into the camp. It was not odd if you were well off to take a couple of wives, each likely coming with servants and slaves as their own. Only adult males were considered fully people in that society. Women were under their control, children were under their control, and servants and slaves were somewhere farther down still. Most people then, same as now, were not that well off. And then your father comes to the story that we heard today. One night before Jacob is set to confront his brother, he camps by himself. And a stranger comes to him, and they get into a fight, and they wrestle for hours. And as the day comes, it is revealed that the one that Jacob has been wrestling with was none other than the God of Abraham himself. To which God ends the fight, and as a reward, renames Jacob and blesses him. Israel, I will call you, God says, for you have wrestled with people and you have wrestled with God. The way God gives this blessing, it almost sounds like he is proud of Jacob. It is like he is blessing someone that he cares for. 
And to that thought you cheer, for this was your ancestor, and so you share with Israel in that name as well. So, how does the Old Testament begin to answer the question of who is Israel? Well, from Genesis we heard that Israel was, to begin with, a very relatable person. He was a man who, like all people, was made good in the image of God together with others, tasked to care for creation. But Israel, also like all people, he lives in a world that is sinful and fallen, and as such, like all people, is sinful and fallen himself. But what Israel also is, is a descendant of a man who God, instead of abandoning because of his sin, chose to make a covenant with instead, promising to be with him and his family into the end of time. And so what Israel also is, is a person still in that covenant with that God who is stronger than the gods of the other people around him. And for some reason, this God also chooses to be close to Israel to the point that he is even willing to struggle with him. So who is Israel? He is the one who struggles with God, and he is your ancestor, which means in some real way you can think of yourself as sharing in the blessing of Israel as well. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are told in Romans 8 that through our relationship with our Lord, we are joined into his family. We, my brothers and sisters, we as Christians are also children of Israel. That is something that we as Christians believe in the core of our being. And as we learn what all that means as we continue to go through the Old Testament over the weeks to come, what it means to be a part of Israel, what we know that it means as of now is that at minimum, we know that we are also children of that same covenant. We are also those who are invited and blessed in our struggle that our Lord joins us in. Today is Thanksgiving, and so I dare say that as you are looking for something to add to your list to pray over your turkey dinners with, that this is who you are in Christ. That, I think, should make the cut, because what it means is that no matter the tension you may have with Jesus, no matter the questions, no matter the problems, you, you can bring that before our Lord. And what's more is that it seems that he really wants you to. At least from the story of Jacob wrestling with God. So this week in your prayers, I encourage you to do just that. Bring everything before God. Everything. Because he can take that. Also, as we learn to read the Old Testament over the weeks to come, I encourage you, open your Bibles up and read. Our time is going to be a whirlwind, so slow it down, spend time yourself in it. You will learn new things. So who is Israel? We are. The ones who God chooses to struggle with. And an amen to that. And now, all this talk about being a family that 
God is with throughout all time, I think it's time to have communion. Because in communion, this is the same thing that we are celebrating. Because in communion, through the bread and through the cup, we are joining together with Jesus Christ as well as all of the other believers from here all the way back through time to Christ himself and through Christ all the way back to Abraham and beyond. And so we read, for the tradition I received from the Lord and also handed on to you is that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way with the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this as a memorial of me. For whenever you eat this bread then and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. A McGregor EMC, we believe that communion is open to all believers. If you have young ones that might not know the full weight of what communion is, I ask you as parents to make that decision for them yourselves. But let's go now into a very short one-minute prayer where we come before God with everything we are. And then after that, we will join together in the Lord's Supper. Please bow. Our Lord, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful ordinance. God, we thank you that in the Lord's Supper we can join together with other believers, not just here, but across the world throughout time, all the way back to you. God, we pray that you do not let, we do not let that slip us by. In your name we pray, amen. First the bread, the body of our Lord. And the blood of Christ, let us drink. Now, thanks be to God for that. I ask you that you join me now in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us these days our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
And for our benediction today, we turn to the book of Hebrews. I pray that the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood that sealed an eternal covenant, may prepare you to do his will in every kind of good action, affecting in us all whatever is acceptable to himself through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go now and serve our God. Thank mm-hmm. you.